Chapter 2 of A Group of Famous Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kim Lamb. A Group of Famous Women by Edith Horton. Dorothy Payne Madison, 1772 to 1849. It is by woman that nature writes on the hearts of men. By Richard Brinsley Sheridan. Dolly Madison was born May 27, 1772, in North Carolina. Her father, John Payne, was a native of Virginia, but he lived on a large plantation in North Carolina, which had been given him by his father. He married Mary Coles, a noted belle and beauty, and their daughter Dorothy inherited her mother's good looks. In their home on the southern plantation, the Paines avoided all display, although they enjoyed every comfort and were generous in hospitality. The little Dorothy was brought up to dress quietly and wear no finery. After their removal to Philadelphia, which occurred when Dorothy was 14 years of age, both John Payne and his wife, already Quakers, became more strict in that creed than they had been before. It was John Payne's conviction, as it was of all Quakers in good and regular standing, that slavery was sinful, and this belief led him to free his slaves, sell his plantation, and come north. In their northern home, the Quaker rules were rigidly carried out. Though young and of a particularly gay and joyous disposition, Dorothy, or Dolly as her friends called her, was forbidden such pleasures as dancing, music, and many other amusements. All this discipline, which we should call unnatural, Dolly received with sweetness and cheerfulness. Her beautiful face reflected a beautiful character. Mr. Payne, who was untrained in business ways, met with financial reverses, and in his troubles was aided by a young lawyer of wealth named John Todd, also a member of the Society of Friends. This young man, who had fallen in love with Dolly, showed Mr. Payne much kindness, finally obtaining his consent to ask his daughter's hand in marriage. When he proposed to Dorothy, however, she replied that she never meant to marry. But her father was ill at the time, and to please him, Dorothy, like the dutiful daughter she had always been, consented, and so had the satisfaction of making her father happy for the remaining few months of his life. After her marriage, Dolly lived for three years the life of a Quaker matron devoting herself to her husband, her home, and her two babies. Then an epidemic of yellow fever broke out, and John Todd sent Dolly and the babies away from the city while he remained to look after his parents, who were both dying of the fever. As soon as he could leave, and already ill, he hastened to his wife and children. Mrs. Payne, Dolly's mother, opened the door for him. I feel the fever in my veins, he gasped, but I must see her once more. In a few hours, he and one of the babies were dead. 
Dolly herself was then stricken, and fatally it was believed. She recovered, however, and taking with her the remaining child, a boy whom she had named John Payne after her father, Dolly went to her mother in Philadelphia. These sad experiences broadened and deepened her lovely nature so that she developed from a shy girl into an attractive woman. Her troubles seemed only to increase the natural sweetness of her disposition and enhance her beauty. These gifts, together with her youth and riches, caused her to become the object of much curiosity and attention. On a certain morning during her walk, she was seen by James Madison, who immediately sought for an introduction. This undoubtedly flattered Dolly, for Mr. Madison was a very prominent and important figure in Congress, with a name celebrated throughout Europe and America. He had worked with Washington, Franklin, and Hamilton to establish the United States government on a firm basis, so that he has since been called the father of the Constitution. In a letter to her friend Mrs. Lee, Dolly wrote, Dear friend, thou must come to me. Aaron Burr says that the great little Madison has asked to be brought to see me this evening. When he came, Mrs. Todd received him in a fine mulberry satin gown with, with silk tulle about her neck and a dainty lace cap on her head, a curl of her pretty black hair showing from underneath. She so sparkled with fun and wit that the scholarly Mr. Madison concluded that there was nothing to do but to offer himself as a husband, and before long they became engaged. President and Mrs. Washington were much pleased when they heard of this and sent for Dolly to come to them. Mrs. Washington said, Be not ashamed to confess it if it is so, for Dolly was shy and confused. Then she added, He will make thee a good husband, and all the better for being so much older. We both approve of it. The esteem and friendship existing between Mr. Madison and my husband is very great, and we would wish thee to be happy. Dolly was just 22 years of age, and Mr. Madison 44. In September 1794, at Harewood, Virginia, the home of Dolly's sister who had become the wife of a nephew of Washington, Mrs. Todd and James Madison were married. The guests came from far and near, and there was much merrymaking and gaiety at the wedding. Even the quiet, reserved bridegroom became transformed and permitted the girls to cut off bits of Mechelen lace from his ruffled shirt as mementos. The bride and groom went first to Montpelier, Virginia, Mr. Madison's home, but soon returned to Philadelphia, where at the request of her husband, Dolly lay aside her Quaker dress, entered society, and began to entertain largely. Her tact and kindness of heart won everyone, and at a time when party spirit ran high and political differences caused bitter feeling, Mrs. Madison entertained with dignity and elegance, slighting no one, hurting the feelings of none, and sometimes making friends out of foes. When Washington died, 
Mr. and Mrs. Madison were among his sincere mourners and helped to comfort the lonely widow for the loss of her great-hearted husband. When Thomas Jefferson became President of the United States, James Madison was made Secretary of State. Mr. Jefferson, being a widower and requiring a lady to assist at his state banquets, often called upon Mrs. Madison to sit at the head of his table in the White House. Her charms especially fitted her for such a position. After Jefferson had served two terms as president, James Madison was elected to fill his place. At the inauguration ball, Mrs. Madison wore a gown of buff-colored velvet, a turban with a bird-of-paradise plume on her head, and pearls on her beautiful neck and arms. During the first year of Madison's administration, while national affairs were going on smoothly, Mrs. Madison's entertainments at the White House were many and popular. She had the rare gift never to forget a name and the faculty of putting people at their ease and thus banishing shyness and stiffness. Her receptions were never dull, her sparkling conversation drew the best minds to her, and the ease with which she met strangers was remarkable. She was kind alike to rich and poor, and gave generously of her wealth to the deserving. To her husband, she was an able advisor, her sound common sense and good judgment often helping him in his decisions of public matters. President Madison said that when he was tired and worn out from matters of state, a visit to his wife's sitting room never failed to rest him. But national affairs were not to remain quiet. Trouble had long been brewing with England. The commerce of the United States had been almost entirely destroyed by acts of the British. The Atlantic coast from north to south was blockaded by them, and many American seamen were impressed. Washington and Adams had managed to avert the war, but now matters were come to a crisis. The whole nation was inflamed, and on June 18, 1812, Congress formally declared war. As most of the fighting was done at sea, life at the Capitol went on undisturbed until August 19th, when it began to be rumored that the British were coming to attack Washington. The rumor became a certainty when a horseman dashed through the villages 40 miles below Washington, shouting, To arms! Cockburn is coming! The English had landed 5,000 men and were marching toward the capital. Washington was in a state of panic. Citizens banded together for defense and marched to meet the enemy. On August 22, President Madison bade farewell to his wife and left for the front. Up to this time, Mrs. Madison had been without fear, but now learning that the American ships had been destroyed and knowing that her husband was in danger, she became very uneasy. The work of saving records was at once begun. Important papers were piled into wheelbarrows and carts and carried away. At 3 o'clock August 24, Mrs. Madison sat anxiously waiting for some word from her husband. She refused to leave the White House until a large portrait of General Washington was saved, and time being too short to admit of its being unscrewed from the wall, 
She gave the order to have the frame broken with an axe and the canvas taken out. It was sent in a carriage to a woman living beyond Georgetown, who afterward returned it to Mrs. Madison. It now hangs in the White House again. A hurried note from the president bade her be in readiness to leave in a carriage at a moment's notice, for it was feared the British would destroy the city. Soon her worst fears were realized, for sounds of approaching troops were heard. Two gentlemen rushed into the room exclaiming, Fly, madam, at once. The British are upon us. Mrs. Madison suddenly remembered that the Declaration of Independence, which was kept in a case separate from other documents, had been overlooked when the other papers were sent away. She turned and, notwithstanding the protests of her friends, ran into the house, broke the glass in the case, secured the declaration, and then jumped into the carriage, which took her to the home of a friend in Georgetown. Washington could be rebuilt and many valuable articles which were destroyed could be replaced, but the Declaration of Independence, once gone, would have been lost forever. That night, few people in or near the city of Washington slept. Instead, they watched the flames destroying the beautiful city, for the British had set fire to the public buildings, the President's House, the New Capitol, the Library of Congress, the Treasury Buildings, the Arsenal and Barracks, besides many private buildings, and the wind from an approaching storm fanned the flames, thus completing the fearful destruction. Before daybreak, Mrs. Madison left her retreat and traveled to a small tavern, 16 miles from Washington, where her husband met her. Shortly, word was brought to them that the hiding place of the president had been discovered and that the British were even then in pursuit of him. Mrs. Madison induced him to retreat at once to a small house in the woods while she started for Washington, first disguising herself for the English had said that they were going to capture the beautiful woman and take her to England. President Madison, however, learning that the British had evacuated Washington, returned to the city that night. His wife had also reached there in safety. The burning of Washington filled the hearts of Americans with indignation, and even in England, many condemned the act of Admiral Cockburn saying that it was a return to barbaric times. After three years of fierce conflict, the peace treaty between England and the United States was signed at Ghent on December 24, 1814. Everyone was glad, but no one more so than President Madison, who had been drawn by his party into the war and who was greatly criticized and blamed for it. The president and his wife now took a large house on Pennsylvania Avenue. The brilliancy of social life at the White House had never been equaled before Dolly Madison's time, and it is doubtful if it has been since. In 1817, James Monroe became president, and Mr. Madison retired to Montpelier, Virginia, where he and his wife entertained with true Virginian hospitality, the many friends and tourists who came to visit them. Their home was a beautiful one, containing many artistic treasures. Here they lived happily until Mr. Madison's death in 1836.
Soon after her husband's death, Mrs. Madison returned to Washington to live among her old friends. Her home again became a social center. Much consideration was shown her by Congress and by high officials who respected her for her worthy and honorable life and for her heroism during the burning of Washington. During her latter years, she was saddened by the dissolute habits of her only son, Payne Todd, whose debts had been frequently paid by President Madison and who now appealed to his mother for money. To save him from disgrace, she even sold her beloved Montpelier. Dolly Madison died in Washington, July 12, 1849, at the age of 82, and was buried in the cemetery at Montpelier beside her husband. Lossing says, Mrs. Madison adorned every station in life in which she was placed. End of chapter 2